So I wanted to just have a little recap of the Easter timeline. Turn to your neighbor and say, Easter timeline. So who can tell me what, what last Sunday represented? What happened last Sunday? It's Palm Sunday. So what happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus was going into Jerusalem. And the people were celebrating. There was a party. So, because it was good news. And Jesus came as a servant king. He didn't come in his royal golden chariot. But he came on a humble donkey. And there he was as this humble servant king going into Jerusalem towards the people. The first thing I want to say is this. Jesus didn't walk away from the people. Despite their sin and darkness and struggle, he did not walk away from them, but he walked to them. And this is part of the Easter message that Jesus walks towards us. And there's no one here that can say, I've not sinned, I've not messed up, because we're human, right? So we're all, we all have our shortcomings. We all have our weaknesses and difficulties and challenges at times. But Jesus walks to us. And I think about, we watched a movie as a family uh, uh, a few months back um, about the donkey. And, that, you know, it was this donkey who had this dream for a bigger life and that his life would mean something. And then, you know, suddenly he finds out he's part of the Easter story. And I just think about that donkey. It was just a kind of a normal, you know, run-of-the-mill average donkey. Nothing special. But how many of you know that on that day, everything changed? <laughs> Suddenly, this donkey becomes a celebrity, you know, suddenly extra special because, not, not because of who he was, uh, but because of who he carried. And this is the great news that we get to carry the messenger. We, we can choose to accept to invite Jesus into our lives and suddenly we become this, this royal servant that we get to carry the one who changes everything. So that was on the that was uh, on the Sunday. What happened on the Monday? What happened next? We went into the temple courts, and there was some dodgy stuff that was going on. Jesus is meek. He's mild. He's really gentle, but he saw that some stuff was going on that wasn't right. There was some corruption. There was some, some exploitation going on. And Jesus did something to the tables. What did he do to the tables? He turned them over. And so here we're seeing this, this Easter story is, is also, and this is all joined up. These dots all join up. And so Jesus, what was wrong he, he was like, I'm not just going to ignore this because this is unrighteous. This is unholy. And he turned the tables over. God wants to turn your life around. Turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to turn your life around. And, and he wants to, those things that are wrong, he wants to put right. 
And, and here's the reality, because we can look at situations, we can, you know, cast judgment. I, I know, uh, is it a week or two ago, you know, there was that whole controversy with Will Smith and Chris Rock, anyone else hear about that? And it's like, you know, and so many people were just like speculating and making judgments about, well, you know, he shouldn't have done this. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm just thinking, we've all sinned. <laughs> and sometimes we can become just as bad in our judgmental attitude by pointing the finger and blaming. And really, we don't really know everything that was going on behind the scenes. And, you know, so Jesus, he turned the tables over. And so for us, the, the turning over the tables, it relates to every one of our lives because we all have elements in our lives that are not right, that God wants to, that he wants to sort out. And so it's important that we, that we know that he puts the wrong things and he puts them right. On Tuesday, he was preaching in the temple and he was communicating his message of hope. Everywhere he went, he communicated and he brought hope. But as he proclaimed the message, and this was the ultimate communicator, the, the perfect public speaker. But as he spoke, not everyone was happy. Not everyone was for him. And there was actually a lot of persecution. Do you know who Jesus' biggest enemy was? It was the religious people. And that might surprise some of you. Think, what? They should be for him. Yeah, they should have been for him. But this is where we can, we can go through emotion. You might even come to church. That doesn't mean you're saved. You can go through the empty motions where you're doing all the right things, the right actions, yet your heart is far from God. And the Pharisees, the religious people, they did not like what Jesus was teaching, and so they persecuted him. We understand that part of this Easter story as well is that there was persecution, but it did not stop Jesus from proclaiming the message. On Wednesday... Jesus is betrayed. Who was the, what was the name of the person who betrayed Jesus? Does any of the children know? What was the name of the disciple who betrayed Jesus? Judas, yes. Everyone, boo. Mm. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. And for how many pieces of silver? Okay. So there was a betrayal for money. It wasn't there, you know, and, and there's these temptations that we have, you know, where at times the enemy wants to come along and lure us away from, from God's plan and purpose. But Jesus uh, was betrayed by Judas. This is when the kind of the wheels started going in motion. Okay, then we have Thursday. What happened on Thursday? They did arrest him in the garden, and we had the Last Supper as well. So Jesus humbled himself, and what did he do for the disciples on that night? He washed their feet. He broke bread with them. And I think it's a really amazing part of the Easter story, uh, the Passion Week as well, um, that he knew that Judas had betrayed him, had sold him out, and yet he still included him at the table. 
And that's part of the message of love, that we are to love people, even when there's betrayal, even when there's rejection, even when there's persecution. And Jesus modeled what true leadership is about, that leadership is about love. It's about servanthood. It's about stooping. It's about being willing, you know, to do even those uh, lowest of tasks. And that's what Jesus did. He washed Judas's feet and he included him at that fellowship meal, that, that table. That's the power of love. That's what God does. And then he was arrested in the garden. And we remember that very powerful prayer as well in the, the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweated drops of blood. So, you know, when we think about Jesus shedding his blood for us, often we go straight to the cross. But let's not forget what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus shed his blood for us there. Now, I believe that was part of him shedding his blood for mental turmoil. So if you've ever had moments where you've, you know, struggled with your mind, know that he suffered for you, that there is healing that is available for you. And Jesus there, and he was wrestling with the, the will of God and, you know, the, what the Father had called him to do. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. And that's a really powerful prayer that we can pray because sometimes God asks us to do things that are very challenging, that might be difficult, that might require sacrifice. But we're never alone. God's with us. And he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to do those things. So I want to encourage you, may your prayer be this Easter. Not my will, but your will be done. Now, none of us have to go to the cross because it only needed to happen once. So he did that once and for all for you and for me. What happened on Good Friday? Any of the children know this one? What happened on Good Friday, children? Jesus died on the cross, didn't he? And so he went to that cross and it was a payment. You know, some people will often ask, you know, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? It's because God's a holy God and he's a righteous God and he's a just God. And so there has to be payment for sin. It can't just be ignored of, oh, don't worry about that. We'll just leave it. You know, for, so for example, let me give you an illustration. Let's say Barbara and Ian, you know, someone comes to your house and they completely trash your house, like while you're out. And they do smash lots of windows, kick in a load of doors, and it's just they really make a mess of it. Like, how, how do you think you guys will be feeling? Sick, yeah. We've got, our house has been defiled. This is wrong, okay? But then let's say that they take, took it a step further because as you come back in your house and you're surveying the damage, you suddenly realize all your valuables have been taken. Now, if I, you know, if the, uh, you know, let's say you jump on the phone, you, you call the police and say, hey, you need to come out, like something, a real bad crime has happened. And if the policeman just said to you, hey, guys, you know what? Why don't we just kind of leave this? Just let it go. How do you guys, how would you guys feel about that? You're going to be pretty angry, aren't you? You're going to be like, you what? Something needs to be done about this because a crime has been committed. Okay? Now think about this. If God is a just judge, 
Is he just going to be like, oh, do you know what? It doesn't really matter. Just let it go. No, he's not. Because he's a just judge. There has to be some kind of consequence, doesn't there? The criminal needs to be caught. There needs to be justice. So we cannot say God is a just judge if he's just like, it doesn't matter. That's not a very good judge. So there has to be payment. And in some systems, there might be some penalty that may be a fine of, you know, X amount has to be paid. You know, in some cultures, it's even more severe around kind of the payments. So God's a just judge. There needed to be a payment for the offense of sin. And that's where Jesus, rather than making us pay for it, he said, I'm going to pay the price, the penalty for the sin, for the crime that was committed by humanity. And so that's why he went to the cross, because he's a just judge. But he's not just a just judge, he's also a loving God. And because of his love for us, he's saying, hey, I know you've done wrong in each of your own different unique ways, but I'm going to pay the price and I'm going to pay that with my life. He lived a sinless life, and he gave his life for you and for me. And he died on that cross, and the ground shook, the earth was shaken. It was the most significant moment of all of history, and darkness came over the earth. And, uh, and then Saturday came, and Saturday was a, a day when there would have been a real mixed concoction of emotion of those that were maybe still hopeful, but also those that were doubting, those that were, were fearful, those that were feeling uncertain about the future. And this is the thing that wherever you're at on that, or, or, you know, whatever motion's going on in your life, God meets you where you're at. So it's okay if you're here and maybe you've got doubt in your heart, hey, it's okay, God meets you where you're at. If you're here today and you're feeling a little bit fearful, a bit uncertain about the future, it's okay. God will meet you where you're at. But if you're here and you're strong in faith, God will meet you where you're at. And then comes Sunday. And I want to read this, this out from Matthew. Matthew 28. And this is the New Living Translation. Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, And early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, a new day is dawning. Turn to your neighbor and say, a new day is dawning. It says, a new day was dawning, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Kind of like, almost comes across as a little bit cocky, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, a little did. He's sitting on the stone. And then it says, verse 3, his face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid. I feel that's a word for some of you here today. Don't be afraid. You might be here, and you might be feeling afraid, but the Lord's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now, so 
Go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So the women, they ran quickly from the tomb. Let me just pause there because sometimes people talk about, you know, women are seen as second-class citizens, you know, in the ancient world. But here we see, isn't it interesting that the very first people that were entrusted with the gospel message were women. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that's the sort of response I was looking for, Joanne. So the women, they were entrusted with the gospel. They ran uh, from the tomb. They, uh, they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. It's a message of hope. This is what Resurrection Sunday is about. It's a message of hope. Jesus is risen. He's no longer in the tomb. But he is seated on high at the right hand of the Father. He is the king of the universe.